Welcome to the Talking Total Farmer Health podcast from AgriSafe Network. At AgriSafe, we work to protect the people that feed the world by supporting the health and safety professionals, ensuring access to preventative services for farm families and the agriculture community. Today's episode is brought to you by the network of the National Libraries of Medicine Region 3. to a four-year study by the CDC, there are roughly 95,000 alcohol-related deaths each year in the United States. This means that every day, approximately 260 Americans die as a result of alcohol use. Farmers, ranchers, farm workers, and agricultural producers are not exempt from those statistics. But these deaths are preventable, and we can make strides to look out for each other and our own. I am Dr. Tara Haskins, the Total Farmer Health Director at AgriSafe and your host for this episode. I'm a registered nurse of 34 years with a passion for rural health and mental health lead for AgriSafe. I grew up and live in North Louisiana. The main question we'd like to start with today is how do we best address the culture of drinking within agriculture? You know, that's sometimes it's part of the end of harvest and there's you know, celebrations. Absolutely. And, you know, and I, and I think the thing is nobody is really saying eliminate alcohol forever. Yes. Right? <laughs> right. Right. I, that, that totally is not going to happen. And it is a legal substance. If you're 21, you know, there, there's been some health benefits associated with drinking wine, you know, mm-hmm. but the key is moderation. That was Dr. Chasik. She is an associate professor and chair of the counseling department at the University of Nebraska, Omaha, and associate workforce director of the Behavioral Healthcare Center of Nebraska. Dr. Chasik has strong rural roots and is practicing mental health and addictions counselor with experience in behavioral healthcare administration. She mostly currently focuses on developing the behavioral healthcare workforce in rural Nebraska. You know, so I I think if we can say, well, what is moderate? You know, if four drinks in a setting for a man or no more than 14 a week. And for women, we cut that in half, no more than seven a week, standard drinks. If you don't have risk factors, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's fine. A standard drink looks like one shot of liquor, which is about one and a half fluid ounces, one domestic beer, which is about 12 fluid ounces, or one glass of wine, which is about five fluid ounces. But keep in mind There are a lot of factors that might shift the guidelines for moderation, and there are a lot of factors that shift how severely alcohol might affect your body. I know whenever I was uh, teaching nursing, I'd put up the the photo of a person and how alcohol affects uh, different systems in your body, and it's head to toe. And of course, as we get older, our bodies are less able to tolerate the alcohol, so the guidelines go down for how much you can drink because of you know physiological changes there. And, in, and it impacts blood pressure. It impacts so many things. While most people are aware of the short-term effects of drinking, consistent alcohol misuse can have some serious long-term effects. And some of the most notable short-term effects include lowered inhibition, loss of coordination, decreased motor skills, slower reaction times. Long-term effects may take months or even years to show up. A few long-term effects of excessive drinking include, but are not limited to things such as fibrosis or cirrhosis of the liver, pancreatitis, heart disease, stomach, oral cancers, 
and many more. Alcohol can also affect other areas of your health and can interact poorly with other conditions that you may already be living with or with medications that you might be taking. It's important to be honest with your healthcare provider and let them know about your alcohol use and the extent of that use. It might be the missing link to troubleshooting a lot of your health problems, and it may prevent the addition of medications or maybe the increasing of a dosage of a medication. Now, complications or severe long-term effects normally arise when someone consistently drinks more than the recommended amounts of alcohol. What we consider unhealthy risky drinking, right, would be an excess, you know, drinking more days of the week than not binge drinking, which is drinking four or five more drinks in a setting. And risky drinking certainly doesn't develop just out of thin air. Dr. Chasik, I understand you've been working on a research project and have an article coming out soon about substance use among agricultural producers in Nebraska. I think you had mentioned that there was a gap in the literature where it seems like they're only discussing substance use among migrant farm workers. So what does your research set out to fill that gap with? In Nebraska, when I think of a farmer, I think of a, you know, somebody who owns a family farm, who's a producer, who's the the land is their living, you know, they own it, they operate it. So we set out to understand, I guess, in the Midwest with farmer owner operators and ranchers, what is happening with substances. That sounds so interesting. I can't wait till that comes out. Now, during your research, Did you observe any trends in your findings? Were there any factors or situations that you found might influence risky drinking in agricultural producers? Age group, gender, and anxiety were all risk factors that that would lead to an elevated or increased use of of alcohol. So when we took out the younger subset, right, that they were at high risk for alcohol misuse, Male was the gender that was the most at risk. And then if their anxiety scores were elevated. So, you know, if we look at, well, who do we need to direct some of our prevention efforts to, right? We're looking at younger male farmer owner operators who are experiencing a lot of anxiety, you know, and, and, or even mild levels of anxiety, I should say. And alcohol is a short-term patch for calming down anxiety, but it's not a permanent fix. And it can certainly backfire on you sometimes very quickly. But young male farm owners are not the only people who might have an alcohol use disorder. That's just one specific area that's a high risk. And you can't normally tell by just looking at someone that they might be struggling with a substance use disorder. It could be your neighbor, your coworker, or your family member. Have you ever gotten a diagnosis and wanted more information about it? Maybe you have a question about a farm injury. Check out medlineplus.gov, a resource for health information for patients and their families. Brought to you by the world's largest medical library, the National Library of Medicine, medlineplus.gov gives you high quality, relevant health and wellness information that is trusted and easy to understand. Their information is available in both English and Spanish and free to you anytime, anywhere. On medlineplus.gov, you can get more information about a variety of health topics, read about a medical test you may have to take, research drugs and supplements you may be interested in, plus much more. 
Check out medlineplus.gov today to learn more. Can you talk just a little bit about the producer in their role as an employer and if they were to discover that an employee is suffering from excessive drinking or even worse yet, drinking on the job, are there any resources out there that could guide a producer and just do what they need to do? Oh, absolutely. There are lots of resources if you think about it from a drug-free workplace policy standpoint, right? So that would be number one. You know, what are the expectations? What is my policy? And then, you know, as far as signs, it's like one of the biggest, I guess, red flags, you know, somebody showing up late, not being reliable, you know, that any industry, that's kind of one of the things that you look for, like, boy, they're showing up late a lot. And that's what we look at when we we're doing an evaluation, just noticing if there's patterns that happen, you know, leaving early, um, you know, just talking a lot about, I can't wait to go to the bar, you know, that urgency that I, I need, I need a drink or I need something. If you're hearing that is kind of a red flag. And, you know, a lot of times people will become very irritable. I guess getting to know them and, and learning a little bit about their life and what's happening is another way to, you know, I guess to see if there's, if there's a problem going on and, and see if you can't be helpful. And so many places when you're talking about policy, will have that second piece, which is what do we need to do to get you help? Right. So rather than a punitive standpoint, it, you know, how, what can we do so that I can help you get better so you can be the best employee I can be? Is that time off or appointments? You know, is that helping you get to a, a treatment place? Some people, you know, provide insurance. And so does the insurance cover it, you know, would be something to look into. And so, yeah, so those are some of the things that come to mind, I guess, in, as far as being an employer in, in substance use issues. Sure. So th- those are great suggestions, having a policy, setting the expectation early on in employment and kind of having some form or fashion of like an employee assistance program or like a plan, <laughs> right? That if someone encounters problems that uh, they have an opportunity to, to, you know, take a different path, to get some help, to get some treatment. Yeah, but we, we do know that, you know, I mean, what? Over 90% of farms are family farms, right, in the United Uh States. So what if that employer, what if you're dealing with a family member that is part of that business? (laughs) That's a tough one, right? It is such a tough one. And that's where, you know, so many boundaries get crossed. And it's harder to be impartial. It's harder to be objective. You know, and in some respects, you know more. So you're probably going to see the problem quicker, (laughs) right? Or you know that something is off. But then what do you do about it? And maybe you need like a neutral party to help you with that. Or, you know, there's so many resources. I know in our state, we have uh, like a hotline and um, it is a whole gamut of help for for farmers, agri, rural folks. Mm -hmm. You know, you can call into this hotline, you can get legal advice, you can call in and you can get mediators, you can call in and get, you know, resources for mental health, all these different things. And so we always encourage people like use that. Because yeah. that, you know, if, if, if nothing, if you don't have anything formally as a business, that's a, no, that's a great place to go find some of those resources. Yeah. And they and, could probably also direct them to like uh, treatment uh, resources that are close to their area as well. Absolutely. Cause that's, that's a hard thing to navigate when you don't know what's out there. You don't know what type of treatment. And, right. 
Right. And, and the thing is just like, you know, if you, if, if a family member, an employee, a whoever has a broken leg, you don't fix the broken leg. You know I mean? Like if they need like brain surgery, you're not doing the brain surgery. Right? <laughs> Got to get people to the right place to right. help that problem. Mm-hmm. So what does help look like for families in rural communities? Like what kind of things should they ask for? Hmm. Well, you know, help in rural communities, like I talked about earlier, like there's not a lot of access. There's a lot of barriers to access. You know, one is the stigma we talked about. The other is just a provider, right? And so you might not have a treatment center in your town. So what mostly I think the first steps usually are is going to some kind of medical provider. So you might not have, you know, like a mental health treatment facility, but most rural places have some mechanism for physical health care, right? For general health care. That's a good place to start because those doctors, nurses, those professionals, if you, if you share with them that this is the problem, they can help direct you then to, to the next step. Right. And that might be telehealth. You know, it, if there's nobody in your particular area, maybe you maybe there's resources for telehealth and, and connecting into an expert, maybe from another area. Most communities, the other place where I usually tell people like, OK, let's start here because they're a little bit more knowledgeable and are in most rural communities is your spiritual community. So your churches, those kinds of things. Usually they know about resources and they're trusted. Right. And, and they hold confidences because a lot of people don't, you know, like I'm not going to talk to everybody about this because I'm, I, there's some shame and stigma that goes along with it, unfortunately. But so those are really good places to start. And then there's lots of levels. It's not a one size fits all treatment plan for people who are struggling with a substance use issue. I'm glad you brought that up because I think, a, I think that's a lot of misunderstanding in the public that treatment looks the same across the board and it really doesn't it really depends on the individual circumstances and and you know what can be done clinically safe for that individual absolutely what can be safe that's so true and you know the other thing it looks like is just support you know which are called anonymous right so alcoholics anonymous the aa meetings the na is narcotics anonymous GA is Gambling's Anonymous. They have all these different things where if you're caught up in that, you can go to those meetings. They're free. They're confidential. They're anonymous. They're people in your community who can help you, support you, walk that path with you. And so those are also really good resources, you know, and we could even get into there's what we call halfway houses or sober living environments, you know, where you just need extra support after you do a treatment. So there's so many ways. And um, I'm glad you brought that up about the A meetings, because um, those that I've known that have engaged in those have, you know, it's worked really well for them. There are so many other types of A meetings, though. It's not a one size fits all. I think for rural communities, when it's small, when those meetings happen in rural areas, I'm sure there could be some hesitancy for you're, uh, it's more difficult to be anonymous, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, but, uh, but there's, I think there's been some opening up with uh, virtual meetings. I've seen them oh, do yeah. those. How well do you think people living and working in ag understand the potential and, and quite frankly, sometimes deadly consequences of stopping drinking without reaching out to their healthcare provider? That's what scares me the most is when people try to do this on their own. Stopping use 
is very medically dangerous. And, and that's why we have detox. Your body becomes reliant on it. And when that is gone, it, it, it kind of goes into shock. And I don't know, you can definitely explain the medical aspect a little bit better, but I get real scared when somebody says I've been drinking for a long time and I, I'm just going to quit. And I'm like, you go to your doctor. I've seen some, um, unfortunately, some, you know, tragic cases where people tried to do that on their own. And number one, I mean, their blood pressure goes crazy and uh, they're at risk of having a seizure. I mean, it's, it's almost like their brain is, is experiencing an electrical storm and it can't stop on its own. And so that's, that can be very, very scary. So yeah, I, I, I always want individuals, you know, if, if they drink on a regular basis and have dependent, those signs of dependency, then they certainly need to seek a healthcare provider and see how do we need to do this so I can do it safely. So um, can you give some examples of messaging in your experience that seems to resonate with people in agriculture? Um, or are we, are we still trying to figure that out? Oh, yeah. So definitely, I think we'll always try to figure that out, right? What is the best way to communicate this or for people to hear it? And, and it's, it, it is kind of individualized. And so I think, you know, when I hear the word messaging, how do I talk to somebody about this so that they hear mm-hmm. and they understand? And, and earlier, we were talking about families and how difficult it is if you're working with somebody, right? Maybe it's a family member, or you're, or you're concerned about one of your family members, and what do I say? What do I do? Families need just as much help with, with all of this as the person who is, you know, su- struggling with the substance use disorder. So I think the message really is I love and I care and I'm concerned about you. And number two, here's what you need to do. And here's what I'm willing to, to help support that. Right. So, and I, here's what I'm not willing to do anymore. No, it is okay. And it's okay to say, I just, I care about you too much to love you to death. On a larger scale, the messaging, I think the messaging is in my, in, in my opinion, and, <laughs> and not only p- opinion, but based in science. And in fact, substance use disorders is a disease, a medical disease, much like diabetes, much like cancer, any of those things that, that we as a society say, you know what, it's not okay. We got to figure out how to help people, how to make people better, how to talk about this, how to get them the help they need. And I think we need to make substance use disorder that, you know, it, it is a something that's happening in people's brains and in their bodies mm-hmm. and yes, in their choices, but the brain gets hijacked. And so choices become less and less over time when you're dealing with a substance use disorder. So we need to, you know, normalize that conversation and, you know, activate our communities to say it's okay to get help. And we've got a long ways to go. So if you leave this episode and only take one thing with you, take this. But if you see something concerning to say something and, you know, say it in in great kindness and care and love, you know, I I come from a place of caring. You've you've said that more than once. I think that's, that's really a strong message. So overall, as individuals and members of the community, we can make a difference by reaching out. We can make a difference by our willingness to discuss or acknowledge alcohol use and misuse. And above all else, know that there is hope. There is recovery. There is a light at the end of the tunnel. And you are not alone. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to hear more from Dr. Chasik, join us for her webinar on December the 8th. And if you are listening to this after December the 8th, The webinar recording is available in the AgriSafe Learning Lab. The webinar link, along with additional resources on alcohol use, 
are listed in our show notes. Thanks for listening to another episode of Talking Total Farmer Health. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast to hear more from AgriSafe on the health and safety issues impacting agricultural workers. To see more from AgriSafe, including webinars and our newsletter, visit www.agrisafe.org. This episode was created by AgriSafe Network with the Network of the National Library of Medicine, Region 3. Script arranged by Laura Siegel, hosted by Tara Haskins, edited by Joel Sharpton, 